1: With me today is Dr. Richard Young, a Fort Worth family physician, to discuss his recent fiction novel, 2060, described as a realistic portrayal of the future of Amer- the American healthcare system. Dr. Young, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Doc- you're very welcome. Dr. Young's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. Briefly on background, 2060 tells the story of Willis Smith, a data analyst working for Alistair Pete. A, a senior vice president for Integra Health Pharmaceuticals, one of five integrated U.S. healthcare conglomerates. Alistair Pete assigns Willis to identify surviving MetaQuads. These are patients that have survived four naturally occurring cancers. In forwarding his search, Willis meets the Vietnamese owners of the Mekong Gardens Senior Care Center. Mekong Gardens offers a distinctly different healthcare formula than Integra Health. The story arc peaks when the owners of Maycon Gardens are outed and required to explain their alternative care model or why they had been defrauding the Medicare program. The denouement is what becomes of the story's antagonist, Alistair Peet. The novel is accompanied by a 36-page afterward that provides invaluable context regarding the motivation for the novel. With me to discuss it, and moreover, its meaning is, again, its author, Dr. Richard Young. So with that as intro and background, let me begin by asking the more obvious question, although you do explain this largely in The afterward, What prompted you to write this novel? And as I know from reading The afterward, it's in part, I'm assuming, you're expressing you've had frustration writing about U.S. healthcare in the present as nonfiction, and now you're trying to make your points by writing um, a fiction novel about how and where healthcare is going in the near future.
0: Sure. I wrote um, a book called American Health Scare that came out in 2012 and there's a blog that goes with it. And obviously for years before that, I've just chronically disgusted with how expensive our healthcare system is. And I see the toxicity of the expense of our healthcare system on every other walk of life and i don't see a lot of serious effort being made to do anything about it so i wrote american healthcare uh, people who read it who are interested in these issues they gave me some nice feedback but it just seemed to die after that and other people would read it and then maybe later on i'd hear them talk and they would be talking against these truths that are difficult that i discuss in the book and i kind of wondered i mean, why why is this not clicking better because these are good people they have big hearts they're smart and i just came to the conclusion that americans have this unique emotional problem of dealing with these difficult truths whereas every other developed country in the world consistent with their own history culture institutions they at least to some degree can on a much more adult level deal with these very difficult truths. And so as I pondered what to do about it, it sort of struck me that maybe what I needed to do was deal with the emotional sides of it a little better and to uh, understand better why stories affect people and why Uh, Certain novels over time seem to have had some influence. And so, yeah, I'd never done this before. I mean, basically, I'm a STEM nerd. And so this was the most intellectually difficult thing I've ever done because I had to learn to think about information in a completely different way. Uh, As I learned more about stories and why people tell them and we read them, uh, a concept that really resonated me was empathy. Uh, stories create empathy for its characters, and what I really hope I accomplish here is that people today can develop a deeper empathy for the mess that they're leaving their kids and grandkids. And I just don't think that nonfiction can accomplish that the way fiction can.
1: Uh, right. The 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 importance and utility of storytelling relative to your STEM uh, nerd criticism. I'll just note, your undergrad is actually in chemical engineering, which is usually not a, a pathway to medical school, but congratulations, uh, for it. Relative to the expense, and I, I have several passages, uh, highlighted in the volume, and I'll just note one. Late in the, uh, late in the novel, you, this is what you write, but Integra Health consumes everything around it, family budgets, Public schools, public infrastructure, the police force, retirement accounts, colleges, small businesses. They are disintegrating from toxic, the toxic costs of healthcare. So I think that, that, that uh, brief paragraph sums up, I think, uh, uh, one of the themes of, of the novel. So let's get to uh, the themes. I gave a broad overview, um, but how, how would you describe this story briefly? And then what what are the major themes you're trying to uh, draw out through the storytelling? So um,
0: basically, the stories about Willis Smith, who is a sort of Gen Z nightmare. He's got this crushing student loan debt. Uh, He was living in his mother's basement until they had to sell their house. Now he's living in this tiny little room he's renting, and he finally gets a full-time job with this large healthcare conglomerate. And he starts off to work with this very altruistic heart, right? Is he To him, it's not just a job. His mother has cancer, and he's been helping care for her. And he believes that even though I'm an analyst, I can still help people. I can still use my tools to find people that need more treatments or miss preventive services or that sort of thing. And um, he starts to work and then things start to not go like he thought. So that's, that's the sort of the journey that Willis goes on. Um, In terms of like themes and what I really want people to get out of it, the the passage you chose was wonderful. And on some level, that's it. If people can just get it, that, Every dollar that goes into the healthcare industry, it's more or less a zero-sum game. That dollar is not going to hire more teachers or fill potholes in a road or provide housing or do something about climate change, right? We, we have a choice as a society of how we spend our dollars. And what I admire so much about the European countries in Canada, Australia, Japan, is they, they have all come up with some way to put boundaries around the healthcare industry. And they all have their own flavors. And they do it in different ways. But they have said, we think healthcare is very important, especially if you're a richish country and you can afford it. But there are other things in life that contribute to people's health and well-being. And they choose not to put every possible dollar into the healthcare industry and they spend it in other ways. And that that's the kind of conversation I never see in this country. I mean, it's even economists, even when I'm listening to like macro economists or people talking about globalization or whatever, and they're like listing off why, you know, how things could be better in the U.S. It's like they never mention healthcare as the sort of, insidious toxicity over everything. And I, again, I, I, the only reason, I mean, these are clearly smart people too. The only thing I can think of is same, it's the same problem. It's this emotional barrier that ultimately to really come to a solution, we have to confront our fear of pain and death. And until we're willing to do that, then we're going to keep coming up with these very, Superficial, ineffective solutions that we've been doing really for the last sixty years.
1: Right. In fact, um, like you take uh, appropriately note that um, you actually calculate throughout the volume and calculate healthcare prices. So I'm going to get to that in a second. I will say that the novel um, is is pretty dark, uh, pretty dystopian. Um, there's, there's a prevalent amount of violence that occurs, sort of random violence um, in in the novel. Uh, so it, it is, uh, I, I would characterize it as such. Um, however, I will just note <laughs> for the reader, I did find it interesting that 30-plus uh, uh, years from now, we'll still have, per, per the novel, I found this interesting, we still have dangerous self-driving cars, we still have the football cowboys, gas stations, We still don't have any legitimate national long-term care policy, no patent reform. There's massive market consolidation, pervasive violence. I did get a laugh out of there's a Whataburger (laughs) that appears uh, in the retail Whataburger in the novel. There's, of course, uh, as as you note, Integra Health Pharmaceuticals, unbridled corporate greed. There's prevalent antigenic medical harm, and, of course, the Medicare program uh, still exists. But let's go to the pricing and the prices um again, you calculated these accurately. What are some of these prices uh uh what are some of these prices in the novel that you cite?
0: Well, I th- there's prices for not only a few of the drugs that I talk about, but also other parts of life. So like early in the novel there's a there's a scene where uh, a, a middle-aged couple is checking out Mekong Gardens as a possible nursing home for, for their mother, and the, the tour is not going well. And at some point, the, the, the husband goes, wait a minute, you mean you won't even, you'll just give them a sandwich? You expect me to pay $498,000 a year and all she's going to get is a sandwich? And so, if you take what an average nursing home costs today, you look at the inflation rate for that for the last 10 to 15 years, and you just project it out, a, day, a year in a nursing home costs $498,000, right? So, in other words, I sprinkle in these dollar amounts throughout the novel, um, but I didn't just make them up, right? And so, right. in the afterward and then the technical appendix is where I justify where the the dollar amounts come from um honestly i don't remember off the top of my head some of the specific numbers but like one of the just crushing things about pharmaceuticals is a successful pharmaceutical a biologic or chemotherapy whatever once it hits the u.s market on average it inflates at about 11 per year obviously that doesn't mean every single one does exactly uh-huh. that but just as an overall average so yeah i just took you know, Humira and, you know, some of these other common drugs that are expensive being used now. And same thing, you just projected out 11% per year. Some of these drugs literally cost like over $2 million a year. And, you know, somebody might say, well, but come on, someone will do something about it by then. Well, no one's done anything about it significantly for the last 50 years. And so that's what I'm saying. Well, if, if we continue to have to lack the courage to push back against drug prices, then this is where we're headed.
1: Right. Yes. In fact, and I think, uh, you note uh, in the in the afterward that over per your comment about 50 years over the last 60 years, healthcare inflation has been between on average two and a half and three percent above uh, annual uh, inflation or exceeding annual, healthcare has exceeded by two to three points uh, annually. So you're right, we, we haven't gotten a handle on this for many, many decades. Um, this book, and I'm assuming you would agree, this book is largely, again, uh, Integra Health Pharmaceuticals. This book is largely a lament on the drug industry. Um, so I think it would be int- useful the protagonist again, Willis Smith, has been assigned to find a metaquad. Why? What's what's the motivation for finding one from Integra Health's perspective? And this gets to, uh, or helps explain your lament about uh, healthcare generally and the drug industry specifically.
0: Sure. So, just first of all, let me make it very clear: I have nothing for or against cancer or people who are dealing with cancer or whatever it's just i needed a disease process that Mm -hmm. costs a lot to treat right i mean i could could have picked some other disease process but i figure cancer is something that people mostly have heard of prevalent so that's why i went with that direction um you're right the i if anything i pick on the the drug industry the pharmaceuticals more than the others in part that was a kind of a writing decision in terms of, I think if I tried to do some in-depth complaint about every aspect of the healthcare industry, then the novel would get too big and clunky and, you know, un, and more, more boring to read. Um, and so I had to pick something to focus on, but the other reason I kind of picked on drugs as opposed to, you know, the hospital costs or rehab costs or whatever, is that If you look at, again, like for the last 10 to 15 years, that piece of the total healthcare budget has inflated higher than the others. Mm -hmm. And so it just, to me, then that was the, I guess you could say, lowest hanging fruit of what we have got to do something about to bring down the total cost of care.
1: Right. The other aspect of this, uh, lending to sort of the darkness of it, Willis Smith eventually finds uh, or th- th- it's implied there are many, but he they're looking for one. So he eventually finds a uh, metaquad. But in the search for finding um, uh, one, he runs into some, let's just call them generically long-term care facilities that are quote unquote, loosely defined caring for patients, basically keeping them alive under some very, let's term it, austere conditions. Um, so explain. Um, could you explain how you describe uh, what we're looking at? We have uh, institutionalized patients, some north of 100 years old, and the quality of their care.
0: Sure. So I'd say there's two factors there. One is I tried to imagine, all right, if the costs of nursing homes keep just climbing up to where they're more and more unaffordable, like from a business community standpoint, what would be then some of their solutions for this? And economies of scale is how the business community thinks. Mm-hmm. And I imagined Especially as we've gone from brick and mortar stores to online shopping, and also just assuming that the overall economy just keeps getting worse and worse for people because, you know, fewer jobs, lower paying jobs, because it's all getting sucked into the healthcare industry. That one way they might do it is to find some old abandoned warehouse and just plug a bunch of people into an old warehouse and to have it be just this you know warehouse of old people um the other thing that i wanted to comment on was when i hear a lot of people in the punditry world for healthcare and policy and stuff it's like there's this natural assumption that we want our healthcare system to help people live longer live better higher quality blah 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 and my point is sort of, a, okay, well, but how long, what's the goal? <laughs> you know, when have people live long enough that we're satisfied? And you hear these people usually pushing supplements or something, and they, they say, well, in the future, we're going to live to be 125. And on one level, I get it of why people would want to pursue that goal. On the other hand, I'm thinking, well, all right, but for this to economically make sense, that means people have to work until they're 110. So, you know, did that factor into your thoughts or did you just think you could work for 30 years and then have your children and grandchildren pay for your income through social security for the next 60 years, right? I mean, just economically, I don't think those people have thought through the ramifications of what that really means. And so, yeah, I'm I'm also sort of commenting on just the pursuit of a number of increasing life expectancy, uh, is that even really a worthy goal?
1: Right. So the phrase that came to my mind reading this was the, the phrase, uh, we're a society of endlessly improving means and care- with carelessly examined ends. Um, so that, that I think it characterizes, I, I did find it interesting where Willis and Melanie, his girlfriend wander into this basically warehouse and you note, each person between the rails had a vest with a thin wire connecting the vest to a free rail by a series of pulleys. So basically, they're bedridden, and if they're not, they're tethered, so they can only um, uh, literally get so far. Um, so let's move on. So you introduce, uh as I noted, these Vietnamese owners, his family. Uh, Melanie is the daughter, uh, the interest of Willis. Uh, they run this senior uh, care center. What what are they doing? And this is you're juxtaposing. So they're Maycon Gardens is the outlier. They're doing. They have a different. To use the overused word, they have a different paradigm, in how they deliver care for seniors. And what how are they doing it? What well,
0: is a to to write an interesting novel that stands on its own. I needed to not only throw themes out of like me complaining about the state of affairs, but I needed to come up with a solution. Right. And so I sort of wrestled with, okay, what might that look like? And I thought, well, what if it's like a small town decided to do it different? Okay. Well, I could do it that way maybe. Or what if like a bunch of Elks clubs got together and they cooperated or something like that? And it just struck me that uh, the Vietnamese community, which Texas is the second largest, has the second largest Vietnamese community in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, you know what they're, they're my as a observing as an outsider, they they're very cohesive, they're very smart, very dedicated education. And as I talk about in the novel, there's this very strong sense of duty from one generation to another. And so I thought, "Ooh, you know what? They might actually be able to pull something like this off. And so what they come up with sort of organically but under the radar, is a different sort of set of priorities of What, what do we really value? What, what's most important? And, and they uh, under the radar uh, come up with ways to sort of fight against demand. And so the novel is essentially the journey of Willis sorting in little piece after piece because they don't want to just tell him right. everything at the beginning of, of learning what's going on. And as he grows to appreciate what they have accomplished, that's what changes him. And that's that's how he it forces him to rethink his values and what his priorities are. And um, so the Vietnamese communities through Mekong Gardens as one of their facilities is just a mechanism that I cooked up to deliver some of those messages.
1: Right. So there's a, there's a intergenerational response, felt, inter, felt intergenerational responsibility. Uh, the elderly don't want to leave their children, grandchildren bankrupt. So they have a, let's just say a more realistic uh, understanding or appreciation for, uh, uh, the finality of life. And so that's how, uh, that informs, uh, the care model. I'll, I'll leave it at that, but that's, uh, uh, you can guess where that goes. Um, let me, let me ask you, let me ask you this question. Uh, you, the, the ending, of course, you're sort of rooting for this at the end. So I thought it was, I thought it was very clever and sort of just desserts, uh, how, and and I don't want to ruin it for readers, but maybe you could discuss this to some extent. What explains, uh, and I'll just put it vaguely. What explains Willis's boss, sort of painted as this narcissist, Alistair Pete? He meets, uh, the book concludes with a description of, of, what he experiences and what he experiences because of economic inequality and the hierarchy of care delivery he's he's not he's he doesn't have a very common uh, treatment um available to him because he finds himself in a caribbean country um that is not rich enough to afford uh basic medical care correct
0: yeah so i know it's hard to talk about without giving away right, the yes, ending, right
1: yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> but but okay, the generic well, point is generic point is resources and, and income inequality becomes so extreme that there's no there's nothing close to equitable distribution, so he finds himself in a medical setting and basically you could argue they don't have the basic uh medical technology um uh you know what specific technological device I'm referring to i mean they don't and they don't have the basic common medications
0: right so so i wanted i wanted alistair to to be affected by the decisions and the things that he pushed for in his day job right i wanted him to suffer the consequences of what he had done to other people so that was that was if we ask for motivation that was it right. uh, i don't mind giving you a little more background on where that came from so um, a long time ago, like in early in my career, my, my wife and I went to St. Kitts for like a you know, long weekend getaway kind of a thing. And I've been curious about healthcare systems like my whole career. And so we had a tour guide take us up, to, you, know, you know, to walk up top of a volcano kind of a thing. And, and, you know, you spend several hours with these people and I'm just asking them about some of the stuff about their healthcare system. And I asked him if they had a certain thing. And he said, nope. And I, you know, okay, well then what happens if if blah, blah happens? Mm-hmm. And he, he basically got, you know, do you transfer them? Is there some air ambulances or whatever? And he goes, nope. You know, if, if, if they do well, great. If they don't, they just accept that that's part of life. And so the big take-home point for that is that for a solution to occur, the healthcare system, the most important people or agents that have to change their knowledge, attitude, skills are the patients, right? What what do the American people actually demand out of their system? And so I just found this model earlier on in my career, not that they necessarily chose this, but they at least accepted limitations on their system that Mm -hmm. impacted their risks, and they just weren't bothered by it. It was is kind of like, you know we got other priorities. and if it happens, we'll be sad and and but then get on with our lives. and that's part of life, you know. And it was just a whole different humility and acceptance of, frankly, our mortality that i I respected them for that.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I would be remiss and along those lines, you're afterward, the last uh, several pages, you discuss your experience. Uh, having been overseas, at, uh, speaking with and meeting with uh, National Health Service staff in the UK, and and obviously that experience plays in significantly to this, with this novel and the comments you just made. So I, let me give you an opportunity to talk about the, your takeaways from interacting with the NHS.
0: Oh, I'm a huge fan of NHS, but not for reasons that most people would leap to their minds. We are so sloppy in this country about talking about, you know, socialized care. Not, that is such an imprecise, sloppy term, and it does nothing that, that really speaks to the deeper issues. Um, all countries other than the U.S. deal with this. To some degree, what I admire about the NHS is it's agency NICE, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, mm-hmm. because the, to me, the British, more than any other country, are transparent about how they make these difficult decisions. You know, here's the drugs that we're going to buy for our people. Here's the tests we're going to provide. Here's what we're going to do or not do in the hospital. And obviously it's emotionally difficult and technical, but, but their politicians have come up with this mechanism of how their country can make these difficult decisions and the politicians then can kind of, you know, throw out their hands and go, hey, it's not me. It's this agency that, that, you know, we all have to go by what they said. Right. So, so a culture that's super similar to ours was able to, to solve that problem that way. But what really struck me, also, besides the sort of macroeconomic kind of a view of it, is when I talked to just John and Jane Q, British citizen, it was very clear to me that what they really wanted was a system that was fair, that treated everybody kind of about the same but they were willing to take on a personal sacrifice themselves so that the system worked for everybody. And that to me is just such a non-American point of view about, about where we need to go. And so again, huge respect to them. Uh, Of course they're in a world of hurt right now. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Brexit affected them, COVID affected them. I think they started to, under support primary care actually in the 2010s and now they're paying for it so i mean it's you know there's no nirvana anywhere with these difficult issues and they're going to frankly probably have to put more resources in the nhs next year to kind of get it back up to where it was but again they talk like adults and they can talk about difficult issues like adults and not melt down into little toddler tantrums the way we do
1: Right, I'm glad you mentioned uh, NICE, National Institute for Healthcare, uh, for Health and Care Excellence. Basically, what they do is um, uh, uh, comparative effectiveness research, benefit cost analysis. This issue came up during the Affordable Care Act debate, what, 15 years now ago. Uh, very polarizing. We didn't get anywhere um, in getting close, although we created, remember, PCORI, Patient centered Outcome Research Institute, but doesn't get as close to what NICE does. Uh, and per your point well, about. If I, Go ahead. If I'm
0: sorry to interrupt, but I mean, the other problem with PCORI is it is written into the law that created it. They cannot consider quality adjusted life years in their determinations of what to be studied. I mean, Congress, I mean, how in the world do you bring healthcare costs under control if it's illegal to consider costs? <laughs> you can't. No, exactly it, right,
1: right. Qualies. Yes, yes, yes. That's why I said yeah. the name is misleading. And of course, they're precluded. Uh, per the British, I, I, I did appreciate, uh, your point. Clearly, there's far more of a shared responsibility, shared sacrifice, uh, perception amongst the Brits. And they highly, you know, all survey data, they consider it the most valuable, uh, piece of the government, um, uh, um, pie. Uh, the nhs so let me let me uh we're about um at our time um what what's your what's your hope right let me ask you what's your hope or expectation for addressing this again as an as a novel as a non-fiction uh, work relative to informing the public debate
0: um well i just want to reassure people in- and, you know you could happy to hear your opinion about this but I, I think the novel stands on its own so if you don't care about the technical stuff or you don't want to hear about my trip to the go investigate the British National Health Service that's fine you'll still get the take-home points out of the novel and it's basically it's that every dollar that goes to the healthcare industry is a dollar that could have gone somewhere else and that means you could have lived less paycheck to paycheck it could have gone in your pocket. Could have gone to better schools. Could have gone to prison reform, g- climate change, whatever it is that you're passionate about. And so that means that even your local hospital system is not your friend, and your local doctors' groups actually aren't your friend, and the drug companies actually aren't your friend. You you've got to build up the courage to. More critically, think about what they do and the financial impact on your life of what they're selling you. And this reform is going to be super difficult. But every other country in the world has shown that it's not a a human nature slash storytelling problem. It's it's sort of in a uniquely American problem that we are just struggling with dealing with reality. And so it's a it's a huge it's a huge ask. But at the end of the day, I think true reform is not going to be top down. It's going to bubble up from the bottom uh, in the way complex adaptive systems evolve and become stronger. And so I just encourage people to read the book, but but don't stop there. Talk to people in your community and figure out what ways in your community you can start to, to push back against the healthcare industry. And in the novel, I've given you a fictionalized possibility of how it could be done. And the nonfiction part, I give you how they do it in Britain. And so I've hopefully I've given people some raw material to, to start to think about what's possible. And I would just love to see experimentation across the country and as people try different things in their communities and then the communities compare notes and, and that's where the real change comes from.
1: Okay. Thank you. Well, well said uh, you do note uh, one stat, we spend well over a trillion dollars annually on health care that doesn't improve anybody's uh, health status relative to um, uh, waste and uh, lost opportunity costs. So with that, Dr. Young, I appreciate the overview of the volume. And again, congratulations on the publication. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.